The Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number anytime to get a hold of Savan, 416-216-5910. Email, we'll get to a, a bunch of those throughout the show today. And that is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to the injury calculator here in just a bit. It's an amazing tool. If you haven't used it, details coming right up. But, uh, Savan, we always do a week that was. That's right, John. The week that was, uh, I one of the things that uh, really struck me this past week uh, it seems like it has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about, but but it actually does, and that's uh, Pokemon Go. Oh God, don't even You've start. heard this. Every, by no. the way, I heard the company was now valued, or the game's valued at like $9 billion. Yeah. We're in the wrong profession, John. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, crazy, yeah. absolutely crazy. But but here's the thing. I know what you're going to talk about. Uh, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. And, and in fact, you've, heard, you've been hearing stories about people who are, are just absolutely uh, just engulfed and mesmerized by it. And they're walking into all kinds of things. And so, so listen, we've talked a lot about pedestrians getting struck by cars. Uh, and, of course, you have pedestrians versus bicycles and cars versus cars. People I've heard have been using Pokemon Go when they're driving. Listen, if you get caught, if you cause an accident, I mean, you're going to be at fault. There's no question about that. But, you know, if you're a pedestrian, we talked about that before, you're crossing the road, uh, minding your own business, and uh, a car strikes you. In, in Ontario, but it, so, so, so before we get to the mm-hmm. Pokemon issue, if, if a car hits you, uh, th- there, is, uh, th- 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 there is a rule out there, there's a law out there that says that there is a reverse onus. It's presumed that the driver of the car is at fault. Because right. usually when you're the one injured and you start a claim for compensation, you have to prove the injury. You have to prove gotcha. that the other person's at fault. Mm-hmm. When it's a car versus pedestrian, there is a reverse onus. Okay, that's legislated. Uh, but I'll tell you this, <laughs> if it comes out that you were playing Pokemon Go or if you were texting or just generally not paying attention, I can tell you that the blame is going to be shifting back likely on the individual who got struck, the pedestrian. I mean, listen, maybe there's going to be a split liability. Maybe the, you know, the car driver wasn't paying attention, also playing Pokemon Go, <laughs> and the guy who was crossing the street was playing. But my point is you've got to be very, very careful. So everyone out there, if you are you know, playing this game or just doing anything on your phone, if you are a pedestrian, just be very, very careful. Okay, I just wanted to raise that awareness. Uh, don't assume that uh, you know, the cars are going to see you everywhere you go. If I'm, if, if, as far as, as I'm concerned, if you're crossing the street and you're playing Pokemon and you get nailed by a car, it's like you, you deserve a Darwin Award. Absolutely. Because <laughs> you're an idiot, right? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not disputing that. Uh, all right. So let's move on to the next thing. Uh, this is interesting. I, I Speaking with a, uh, a lawyer, a friend of mine who uh, still does uh, just defense work, mm-hmm. meaning that person just works for insurance companies. I still have some of those, John. Uh, and uh, that person, uh, we were having a chat about some of the claims we were handling uh, you know, not about the specifics of, of the cases per se, not about names, but just in general yep. what we see. And, and something he said to me really struck a chord. And again, I want to emphasize that because we spoke about that many, many times. If you have a claim for compensation going for injuries uh, or if you are on long-term disability, one of the things, the main things that the insurance company and their lawyers are going to be looking at is your medical records. They are going to be reviewing them in detail and they're entitled to that. If you say you have an injury because of an accident, the insurance company defending the claim is going to be looking at your documents to see if, right. in fact, it's corroborated. But they're going to be looking at something else. They're going to be looking at how frequently have you gone to seek medical assistance after the accident. Right. They're going to look at, you know, first of all, did you wait for a day, an hour, a week, a month before, uh, before, before you first sought assistance? That's number one. And, and, and what kind of assistance? And, of course, what that showed, right? Were you taken to the hospital? Did you get an x-ray done, an MRI, etc.? But the other thing they're going to look at, you know, if you were a year down the road, a year and a half, two years, 
I have clients coming to me, people saying, you know, I've been injured six years ago. I can't help them. But let's say you have people who have ongoing claims for that long. Insurance companies are going to be looking to see if that person is still going to their family doctor, if that person uh, is following treatment recommendations, if they're still seeking assistance at rehabilitation clinics. And what often happens is you have a car accident or you are on long disability. After a certain period of time elapses, you learn to live with your pain, yeah. right? You have back pain. Yeah. You're not going to keep going to your family it doctor. It's part of your life, right? It becomes part of your life, exactly. So maybe for the first few months, you visited your family doctor, you got prescriptions for medications, but then after a while, you stop because you learn to live with it. You have to move on. You're not a complainer. I see a lot of those people. The problem is that from a documentary standpoint, the way the insurance company looks at it is, well, wait a second. You're no longer seeking assistance. You're no longer doing any rehab whatsoever. It's a year down the road. For six months, you haven't seen anyone. Well, clearly your injuries are not that bad. Yeah. And that's, 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 a, that's false logic. That's incorrect. You have a lot of people who simply live with their injuries or they're taking the Advil and the Tylenol and whatever else. They're and coping. They're, they're coping to. with it. Exactly. And again, it goes to the point of perception. So if you're in that situation, okay, or someone you know is in that situation, you have a claim for injuries or for disability, and your medical records are not consistent, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look from looking at the medical records that you are trying to get yourself back uh, into shape, uh, that, that you're trying to get better uh, by continuing to uh, call on those resources and, and trying to get uh, different treatments uh, and continuing to go to your family doctor if only to, to you know, provide your doctor with reports about what's going on. It looks as though there's a blank. It looks as though you're not injured. You have to make sure that you continue doing that. And I'm not saying that if you are not injured, you should continue going Fake to the injury. doctor. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that understand that insurance companies and defense lawyers are going to be reviewing in detail all of your medical records up until the point that your claim is about to resolve. So that conversation I had with that lawyer, he told me he was just in a mediation and uh, you know he wasn't very happy with the plaintiff. Of course, they never are. But he says because the plaintiff was saying that they continue to have back pains all these years later, but he can see from medical records that it seems like initially the person was going to the doctor quite frequently, but then, you know, it became less and less and less to the point where in the last year there's been no notations that he's gone anywhere. And he understands conceptually that lawyer that that doesn't mean the person is not, is, 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 you know, okay, that that person is now 100% better. But what he says is now it's very difficult for him to get his insurance company client to put more money on the table. And that's the issue, okay? So make sure that you continue updating your medical doctor, your, your family doctor, uh, that you continue following up on treatment recommendations. 416-216-5910. That's the number at any time to get a hold of Sylvain. You want to send us an email during the show this hour. We'll get to a couple when we uh, come back from a short break. That is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here on Talk Radio, AM 640. The number is 416-216-5910. Email for Savannah. We'll get to a bunch of those in just a bit here. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We continue with the week that was. you got a couple of things you said is going to make me cringe. Yeah, so there's one case. and um, uh, So this is, this, is, this is an email that came from one of my colleagues uh, at the office who spoke with a, uh, a gentleman. And so he emailed me what happened with, you know, during that conversation, what that person said to him. So I'm going to actually read you the email. Okay. I'm not going to use any names. But I'll read you the email from my colleague. Here's what it says. I spoke to a gentleman this morning who was injured in a car accident. He suffers from multiple uh, issues, including diabetes. On March 3rd of this year, he was walking to the bank when a lady backed out of her driveway and ran over his toe. He was knocked down as a result, but did not initially realize the damage to his toe. Mm -hmm. The police were not called, 
but he recorded her license plate and number and, and address. Now, it was only after uh, a few days that he realized that his toe had become black and blue. He went to the hospital and they informed him that his toe needed to be removed. Nice. As a result of his toe being removed, he now has to visit the hospital every two weeks for additional treatments to his foot. He would like to know whether he can start a, a, a claim uh, against the driver. And my colleague was asking me essentially how, how we proceed. And I said, I said 100% he can start a claim here. I mean, I need to understand a bit more what exactly happened. But if that person was backing out and as a result of her backing out and not paying attention, she runs over this guy's toe. And because of his issues of diabetes, he lost his toe. And not only has he lost his toe, but now he's got to go every two weeks for additional yeah. treatments. Clearly, his life has been significantly disrupted. Now, uh, there are a few issues here that I want to unpack. One of the issues are, and we spoke about them again many times before, and that's what happens when you are injured uh, and and you've had a pre-existing issue. So in this case, this gentleman has diabetes. Mm -hmm. So somebody may may say out there, you know, well, hold on for a second. This lady who ran over his toe didn't know he had diabetes. I mean, you know, if he didn't have diabetes, we would not be talking about this. The the toe would be blue and and whatever, but it would heal potentially. But the fact is that now, you know, he's obviously suffering a lot more as a result of his pre-existing issues. And you said it doesn't matter. And you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter. The law that we operate by, the common law in Canada, states that you take your victim as you find them. So, and we talked this in, about this in, in, in other contexts. If you've had uh, a bad back, but you've been coping, and as a result of a simple fender bender, which, you know, if you were healthy, would not do anything to you. Yeah, but, now, but now, you know, you're bedridden, you can't right. go to work, maybe you need surgery. That's on the person that was negligent who caused it. That's not, that's not on you. The law says, again, you take your victim as you find them. It's not the person's fault that they are in a vulnerable state. And this happens quite a lot. And a lot of people confuse pre-existing conditions as a barrier to recovery on a claim uh, with, with this scenario, which is that, no, you are vulnerable. As a vulnerable individual, you know, the law is on your side. It protects you. The fact that you're vulnerable does not work against you. In fact, in this case, in this gentleman's case, it works for him or, or in his favor. So we're going to be helping this gentleman. We're going to deal with it. I don't know to what extent he now has to get more treatments, but there could be other complications as a result of this uh, of So this how does accident. pre-existing condition factor in? Like, What's the fine line? Because it sounds like it's a fine line. The way insurance uh, companies look at it, and again, I'm, I'm putting my insurance lawyer's hat on, is, is this. Uh, if you're telling me, John, if you're starting a claim for compensation for a bad back, and, and so before, let's say you had a slip and fall. Mm-hmm. Before your slip and fall, you went to the doctor once a month because your back ached. You took some Advils, nothing serious. Now you had a slip and fall. You're saying as a result of this accident, uh, uh, your back is much worse. Now you can't go to work. Now you go to your doctor or to rehab, you know, four times a month, once a week. Uh, The insurance company is going to look at your medical records, right? We're going back to the medical records. They're going to look at your records before the accident and your records after, and they're going to compare. They're going to try and figure out if what you're complaining about now really coincides with the accident. If they don't coincide, if they see that you started going to your doctor once a week before the slip and fall, or if you stopped working at your job a week before you slipped and fell, clearly they're going to tell you, well, that has nothing to do with the accident. That's a pre-existing condition that they're going to uh, uh, focus on, and they're going to grab, they're going to say, that, you know, that condition that you had before the accident, that's the reason for what it is you're complaining about. But that's very different than a situation where you are in a vulnerable state. 
right, where you're in a situation where the accident made your condition much, much worse because you were already vulnerable, because you had a condition that predisposed you uh, to being injured a lot more and than that, otherwise in, you would have been. And in that case, it's not necessarily the same part of the body either. The diabetes and the toe are two different things. Absolutely. The back, the back are the same thing. You right? got it. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And that's right. a good point because oftentimes you have a body part that's vulnerable and the injury then aggravates that vulnerability. So you have a bad knee, but because of right. this little fender bender now or, or slip and fall, that otherwise would not have done anything. Now you need a knee replacement. But you're right. This is a case where he has a condition that makes him vulnerable throughout his whole body. And and yeah. here you see, I mean, the guy lost a toe. I mean, who knows what else is going to happen. shoulder, could have been the same thing, right? Absolutely, exactly. Right, right. So could you run that injury through the injury calculator? You can, you, you can, can, right? But, but the, 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 so, yeah, and we'll talk about the injury calculator. The only the only difficulty with this scenario is that it can tell you what uh, the loss of, of a toe is worth, quote-unquote. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is that it seems like from the information that we have at this point, that it's a lot more than that. He now has to go for additional treatments. I need to understand a lot more about his condition, yep. figure out what do those additional treatments mean? Does he have other ailments? Is, is it uh, 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 causing other dis- uh, uh, disruptions in his life? I, I, that I don't know, and that's something that we need to yeah. assess. We've got lots more coming up. Stick around. You have emails. We'll, uh, we'll get to a couple of those as well. It's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. In the meantime, the phone number, 416-216-5910. The Insurance and Injury Law Show continues. This is Talk Radio, AM 640. The number 416-216-5910. The email address is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll finish off the uh, week that was here, then get into the uh, the meaty parts of the show, getting into the injury calculator. First, though, uh, what do you got for us? So this is a long-term disability situation, and uh, it's going to be very quick, but it just illustrates my point in insurance companies. Oftentimes, even if they deny your disability claim, they do want to resolve these cases. And again, I can't use any names here, but I was at a mediation last week uh, on a different case altogether. It was a car accident case. And in the middle of dealing with that particular case, I get an email and my associate Albert gets an email from a lawyer for an insurance company on a different case, on a long-term disability case. Now, here's the interesting thing. The other case that we got the email about... That's a case involving a lady uh, that was caught off, or was about to cut off disability. Mm-hmm. She contacted us after listening to, to us on the radio, John, and we intervened. We were able to avert the cutoff. So the insurance company said, okay, we're giving you these long-term disability benefits, but your lawyers have now said X, Y, and Z. We are not going to cut you off. And, uh, and this is what I always say, right? Contact us because oftentimes we can avert the cutoff. And that's what happened here, except that two months after... They then cut her off again. Nothing had changed. There was no reason for them to cut off. And what do I always say, John? I say, listen, if the insurance company is going to play hardball, they're not going to listen to us. They're going to get a claim uh, on their desk the next day. day. Yeah, figuratively speaking. Yeah, they're going to get that. And that's what happened here. Uh, And and this literally, we started the claim uh, just a few weeks ago. And the funny thing, again, is that the insurance company cut her off for a second or or was going to cut her off after initially saying they're going to cut her off and never did. And at the mediation last week, on a different case, I get an email from the lawyer that's been appointed to defend this insurance company telling me, uh, yeah, my client is interested in trying to see if we can go to mediation so we can try and resolve this before we uh, incur all these other costs that we're going to incur by defending the claim. And what do I always say, John? These litigation cases are expensive. Insurance companies don't like to waste money on lawyers. They don't, they, they, they don't like to, to let these claims linger. So here you have a situation where they should not have cut off my lady in the first place. I told them they're going to get a claim if they cut her off. 
They cut her off. We started the claim only a few weeks ago. And last week, the lawyer that now came into the picture to defend them is emailing us saying, how about if we just go to mediation and try and resolve it? Is it too late for that? I don't know. No, it's not too late okay. for that. I mean, we're always amenable to it. I mean, but you know, my point is that there was no reason. But here's what happens in most cases. When you don't have a disability lawyer involved, they cut the person off. They invite them to appeal the decision. Oftentimes, as we say, these appeals are detours. They lead you nowhere because you're appealing to the same people, the same team, the same insurance company that cut you off in the first place. And we start the claim and we get the claim resolved. It's really that simple. But oftentimes, not only do people go through the appeals process, many times people say, you know what? I give up. I can't fight an insurance company. David and Goliath. David and Goliath, right? Well, it wasn't Goliath that won that battle. right. Right? It just, it wasn't. And this is the reason why insurance companies are interested in resolving claims. Sometimes they will take principled positions, right? Sometimes people bring claims that they should not be bringing. Right. When I operated uh, on the defense side uh, years ago and worked for insurance companies, I can tell you, John, there are a lot of lawyers out there uh, who bring frivolous claims, and there are a lot of individuals who are not as injured or disabled as they say they are. Why? So, are they just fishing? Hopefully yeah, they're fishing. Them? They're fishing, and that's part of the problem. But what are you going to do? It's the system that we have. Yeah. That's when, when someone calls me or contacts me, we assess the claim. It takes us literally a few minutes to do so, whether it's via email or by phone, and we'll tell you it's worthwhile or it's not. You have a claim or you don't. You're owed money or you're not. Don't waste my time. I'm not going to... I'm telling you, you have no case or your case is not going to be worthwhile pursuing for you, okay? Maybe you have a case, but it's not going to be worthwhile at the end of the day. I'll tell you that. If at the end of the day, you want me to pursue it despite my instructions, I'm going to tell you... I can recommend three other lawyers that you can speak with. I'm not going to take that on. I'm not going to waste your time and my time, and I'm not going to further burden the system that is plagued with, with you know, for a lack of a better term, of, you know, fraudulent claims, weak claims that should not be brought. It's just that simple. Uh, so anyways, it's just, it's, it's interesting because it, it, again, it illustrates the point and insurance companies, you know, generally speaking, are interested in resolving claims. You know, I, I've blamed them for many things. I always hit on them. I always say that, you know, they're using excuses to deny people's claims. They're in the business of making money, which is true. But they're also fighting off a lot of illegitimate claims. And that's just the reality. And I'm saying that not only as a former defense lawyer, but as a plaintiff lawyer. And uh, and by the way, I've had cases, uh, I've seen cases where uh, I've turned down individuals. I said, listen, I just don't believe that your injuries are as bad as you tell me that they are. And I hear through the grapevine that another lawyer took on that case without even contacting me to see why it is that I declined it. Okay, whatever. They can do whatever they want. But that's one of the reasons why the system is is so uh, broken, I would say, right? Because you have these kinds of claims literally plaguing the system. We'll take a quick break. We'll get into the injury calculator and a couple emails. Uh, I want to send them to us over the break. We'll get to that as well. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. The number, anytime, 416-216-5910. It is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here. Talk Radio, AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Savannah's number, 416-216-5910. You can get that anytime. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Before we bounce over to a couple emails, I want to get to this. We've been talking about it since the start. That is the injury calculator. All right. I'll be very quick about that. We've been speaking about this for over a year now. It's an online tool, a free tool. Uh, that allows anyone uh, to go on it and just input uh, really quickly what kind of injury you suffered. Uh, You're not putting in your name or your number or anything like that. Just the injury, the extent of the injury. uh, Is it impacting your ability to work or not? And what happens is that it scans through its databases and through an algorithm. 
it shoots out at the end uh, a range of compensation you could potentially be looking at if you started a claim uh, for that compensation. So if you have a bad back, for example, and you know it's a it's a severe chronic pain. Uh, if you go through the calculator, it may tell you that it's worth. And I'm I'm just pulling numbers out of my head here. Uh, I don't have the computer in front of me, but it may tell you that it's let's say thirty to sixty thousand dollars. And of course, you know each case is specific, which is why you have that range. But it's a fantastic way to find out if you've been injured due to someone else's negligence in Ontario uh, to find out what you could potentially be looking at for pain and suffering. Right. So uh, would it work, like we said earlier in the show, with a injured toe? Yeah, absolutely it will, except that, again, we have to understand that there are limitations to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives you a baseline. It right? gives you a baseline, exactly. I mean, you may have multiple injuries, right? I mean, you, you're in a car accident, your neck hurts, your back hurts, maybe now you have an issue with your knee, you're going to need a knee replacement, something like that. So, you know, the calculator can give you a baseline, an idea of what you're looking at. But remember, it's only for pain and suffering. Right. It doesn't talk about any potential income losses. Maybe you work two jobs, uh, like my guy last week at a mediation, uh, was able to go back full-time to his full-time position, but wasn't able to return to his part-time position. The calculator doesn't deal with that. It just deals with pain and suffering. For that, I would need to assess that, or the lawyers on my team would need to assess that. And it's not going to take us a long time, which is why on that calculator website, injurycalculator.ca, at the end, when you get your result, there is a button there you can click if you want to contact us, if you want to have a more in-depth consultation. Otherwise, if you just leave the page, we'll never know whether you were even there. Sandra from Ajax writes in, says, my husband has been receiving long-term disability benefits for almost two years for depression. We recently got a letter telling us that as of August 8th of this year, he no longer meets the definition of quote-unquote totally disabled and that his benefits will stop. We don't understand why. He is a psychologist that sends periodic letters to the insurance company and who says that my husband is not ready to go back to work. Isn't that enough? My husband's doctor also said that my husband shouldn't be going back to work right now. Well, Sandra, the reason why this is happening is is the same reason that I see over and over again. Uh, and I'm, I'm using the word reason, but really in my mind, it's more of an excuse. A lot of insurance companies treat that two-year mark for long-term disability benefits as uh, as a barrier. What they're saying is that uh, you know, the policy that governs the relationship between the insurance company and the disabled individual, the insured, uh, uh, has, has a, a change of definition date. So generally, and again, this is policy specific, but generally within the first two years of being alarmed on disability, the test is for you to qualify, can you do your own job? Right. Once you approach the second year uh, anniversary, the second uh, um, year mark, the test then changes. It expands. Now it's no longer can you do your own job. It's can you do any job for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. Now this so, is often the, the example of a doctor. You got it. Hand injury, you could do surgery. Two years on, no, well now you can't perform surgery, but possibly you could teach. Exactly, thing, exactly. Right? You can do surgery again, right. so you, you, know, you meet the definition for the first two years, but maybe afterwards uh, you know, you're able to teach, so therefore you would not qualify beyond the two years. Right. Uh, but Sandra, based on what you're saying here, you're saying that uh, the psychologist is providing reports saying he cannot go back. Uh, his doctor says he cannot go back. Just based on that, if in fact those letters, those reports, medical reports, substantiate what you're saying, I don't see a reason why the insurance company would be saying, you know, we're not, we're not paying you anymore because you don't meet the definition going forward of totally disabled. So, you know, it goes back to my point that I made at the beginning of the show with that other case. Uh, contact me uh, off off air. Let me see if I can, if, if 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 my team and I can avert the cutoff. If we can make sure that the insurance company does not cut them off, 
And if they do, we can act immediately. And just like the other case, I wouldn't be surprised if based on, on what you just wrote here and the supporting medical documents saying that your husband cannot go back to work, they can probably get this case uh, to a resolution fairly quickly. The one thing you should not do is you should not give up. You should not assume that you have no rights. You should not assume it's the end of the road. And of course, the second thing is you should not uh, take the detour, which is called an appeals process. Yeah, right. Do you ever find in, in your in your practice when you're coming up with a two-year mark with these particular cases, this one, depression, that under the banner of anything psychological, it's a lot tougher to fight because unlike you know, a busted kneecap, you can't smell it, taste it, touch it, see it? Yes. Yes, yeah, I right. do find that, which is why medical records are so important. And being treated by someone who specializes in the area is so important. So, you know, if you have a certain disability, uh, I don't know, a, a broken back, a broken vertebrae, uh, you know, it's you would have been treated by a neurologist or a surgeon mm-hmm. or someone who took care of you. But then, you know, follow-ups could be with your doctor. That's one thing. But if it's depression, if it's anxiety, if it's any of those kinds of psychological mental issues you want to be able to show that you've been referred out and you went to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a social worker or someone with you. Exactly. Because it gives more meat to your claim. For sure. Clearly, John, you know, given the resources we have in Ontario, uh, if you don't seek any of these specialists, if all you do is just go to your doctor and your family doctor cranks out a page, uh, you know, like a a single line saying this person is disabled because he's depressed. Uh, Or, you know, once in six months, that's not going to be enough. And if I'm in the insurance company, I'm going to be questioning that. So you want to make sure that, yeah, that you make your claim robust. And in this case, in Sandra's husband's case, clearly he's going routinely to a psychologist who's supporting his disability. There's no reason in my mind, at least that I can see, why the insurance company is cutting them off. We'll get to more emails after a short break, and a term we always come up with in this show is mitigation. We'll get a definition of what it means in just a little bit. The number 416-216-5910, and that email address, once again, is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. The number is 416-216-5910. That'll work any time to get a hold of Savan and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. The term mitigation must come up about a thousand times a day in your practice. Uh, describe exactly what it means. Yeah, it, it comes out in my practice and Lior's practice. Right. Uh, so the law um, in Ontario, the common law in general in Canada, but in Ontario, I'll just deal with that, says that, look, you lost your job. It's your job after you lost your job, to try and find other employment, to lessen uh, the damage that's done to you because you lost your job. Same principle applies if you're injured or if you are disabled. The law expects that you're going to uh, follow up on treatment recommendations by your doctors. It expects you to try and uh, continue uh, uh, trying to get better, not to simply be a malinger. Uh, so, but what's mitigation? What is it? Well, it's making something less. If you were to go on Google and try and get a definition... Uh, so again, if you're injured, try and get treatments. Uh, be proactive. Show that you are being proactive. Very, very important. How does the insurance company seize mitigation? Well, this is interesting. Insurance companies often use the argument of mitigation to cut down your claim, to to uh, uh, hurt you, uh, to hurt your case. That you haven't tried to mitigate? That you haven't tried. Right. They're going to try and say, listen, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. We see your doctor said you should be going to physiotherapy uh, twice a month. You haven't done that. Explain yourself. You've been, order, uh, you, you, you've been given prescription medications. You haven't taken those. Why, why is it? So they're going to use that as an argument that you fail to mitigate. And by failing to mitigate, they are saying that you are the author of your own misfortune. Mm-hmm. That had you tried to mitigate, you would have been in a better position. Why that's important? Because if their argument succeeds, it means that they don't have to pay you as much as 
we say that they have to pay you. So it's always important to make sure that you try to mitigate. And, and you know, not mitigating, you may say, John, if I'm representing you, well, I have a good reason for why I wasn't taking those medications because they react badly with me. I'm, I'm very dizzy. I mean, that's very common, right? That you have these reactions, for example. Insurance companies don't see the word reason. They see the word excuse. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what they hit you with. So remember, we talked about that before on other shows, the idea of perception. What's the perception? Is the perception that you try to mitigate? You know, you've been on disability for a year. Did you try to go back to work at any given point? I'm not saying you should try and go back to work to your detriment if you feel you really cannot go back to work. But if you try to go back to work and you didn't succeed, right? You went for a few hours, it's recorded with HR, uh, with your uh, employer that you tried to go Mm -hmm. back, but you weren't able to because you got really sick. That is helpful to you because down the road, when it comes down to negotiate a fair settlement, the insurance company won't be able to say you never tried. They're just not going to have that argument in their arsenal. So very, very, very important. I have a case right now that's going to mediation in August. Uh, and so I can't give too many details, except that I can say that this is a wrist injury from a car accident. But it's a fairly significant injury, and it's an injury that had prevented my uh, uh, client from being able to pursue his employment. So he had to do something else that pays him less. But here's the problem. The accident happened. Actually, it's two accidents, and one aggravated the other. Okay. But they happened over the course of, of, of the last few years. Shortly after he got injured, uh, a surgeon told him, you need to do a surgery on your wrist. The problem is that my client was concerned that if he does surgery, it's going to put him out of work for a while. It's going to jeopardize his chances and, at, at being at work, right? He's right. afraid that his employer is going to fire him, et cetera, et cetera. But, but, you know, the problem, these are valid concerns. These are valid reasons for not doing the surgery. But now, down the road, the insurance company is saying, hold on, your risk is really that bad. We don't see that as a reason. We see that as an excuse. You were, you told. Had the ch- you were told by yeah. the orthopedic surgeon to do surgery on your wrist. You didn't right. do it. Now you're no better. So why should we have to uh, pay you for the fact that you are permanently disabled? You know, and again, you know, we can argue back and forth, but you, wanna, you don't want to be in that position. So it's extremely important to have a conversation with your lawyer. Uh, early on about these treatment recommendations, about you know, a- any, anything you can do to try and help yourself from that standpoint so you can show that you've mitigated. When, when we do, uh, when we represent individuals, we really focus a lot on mitigation, whether it's from an employment standpoint, from a medical standpoint, from any other standpoint, because we want to take away uh, that argument that the insurance company is, is bound to, to throw at us down the road when it comes down to talking settlement. Do you think a lot of people think, though, you know, not being lawyers, not, going, not knowing the definition of how it can benefit them so much that, you know, they're, they're thinking, you know, I, I'm better off just staying on the couch and being sick because if I get up and try to mitigate it's going to look like I'm not that injured. Absolutely, they think that. And that's a faulty thought process. And I'll tell you more, it's perpetuated a lot of times by lawyers who tell their clients, you can hear in my voice, I'm getting angry, because a lot of lawyers say, no, don't go to work. Your claim's going to be worth more. Don't go to work. Right. Let me tell you something, John. Last week at that mediation I was at, again, without disclosing any pertinent information here, you know, I spoke face-to-face with the adjuster from the insurance company. We settled the case. And you know what she told me? She said, I like your guy. I, that's the reason why I'm amenable to try and resolve it for what I'm trying to resolve it for. Because I like him. I like the fact that he worked for several decades at his job. And that, you know, he wasn't able to go back to the part-time job. But clearly, he didn't take the position that he can't do anything. Right. He tried to get back on the horse. He went back to that full-time job. That bodes a lot better. And it looks a lot better when you show that you can mitigate 
And, and you know, maybe that's going to affect your claim, but I can tell you this, it's going to affect it a lot more if you look like one of those gotcha. people who's trying to scam the system. Because God knows there's enough of those out there. And insurance companies are very savvy. They know. The defense lawyers are very smart. Again, many of them are my friends. Trust me, they know what they're doing. They can smell a rat. They can smell a rat. And there's nothing, nothing better. I mean, and that's one of the things that really I took from doing defense work is that you know, advance the case legitimately. And I tell every client, if you can go back to work, modify duties, part-time hours, whatever it is, do it. Don't do it at, at, you know, to the detriment of your health. Don't, sure. don't do it if it's going to make you worse. Don't do it to get medical, medical advice. But if you can do it, do it. Don't simply sit on the couch. Don't follow the advice of a lot of lawyers who really don't know what they're doing, to be honest with you, and, and are damaging your case by telling you not to do anything. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll bounce over to another email. As we get into our last few minutes of the show, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. 416-216-5910, Savannah's number anytime and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Aliona from Ottawa writes in, says, my father listens to you every Sunday and convinced me to call you. I've been, long-term, uh, I've been on long-term disability for a neurological disorder for almost two years now. I was an architectural designer, but haven't been able to go back because of my disorder, which is deteriorating. My insurer says that I don't meet the definition of total disability, quote unquote, after two years. I assume that this was uh, the end, but my father says, no, insurance company may be wrong. Is there anything I can do? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, give me a call because uh, you said you're going to call me, but you emailed us. So that's, that's fine. Uh, we get a lot of emails. Uh, and we, by the way, John, we also have that uh, other website, uh, mydisabilityquestions.ca, yep. uh, I believe. Yep. Uh, sorry, dot .com. Uh, people write a, a lot of questions there that you know I, I answer all the time. Again, free and it's anonymous, no issues. Uh, so, you know, certainly... Uh, you know, if you have a neurological disorder uh, for, for, for those two years and it's, it's deteriorating, there is no reason why the insurance company is saying that you don't meet the definition of total disability unless you feel and your uh, treating specialist feel that you can do something else for which you are tr- uh, uh, suited for. Remember, by education, training or experience. If you cannot do any of those things, right? keep in mind, John, she's an architectural designer. Insurance company can't say that you are trained uh, or, or suited or have experience in serving coffee at Starbucks. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what the law says. The law says that you have to be trained for that or, or have experience in or be educated in, in that area. And if you can do any work in that area beyond that two-year mark, you will not qualify for LTD. In this case, and I don't know what kind of disorder we're talking about, but if it's a deteriorating disorder... It must be something fairly severe. I see this a lot with cancer patients. I see this a lot with with those kinds of illnesses where insurance companies are essentially beating down on an individual that's already down. And and you know and, and by the way, the the, the uh, this individual she was told by her father to contact me, and and right. this happens a lot where family members are proactive and they take the initiative. And, and that's key for anyone out there. If you know anyone who is in dire straits or is in that situation, be proactive. Help that person. Tell them to contact us. We're talking about a quick you know, five-minute phone call or an email or going to that website, mydisabilityquestions.com. Ask your question. In fact, when you go to that website, you'll see a ton of people who've asked questions. And, and as you, John, say, most of the time those, an- those questions have been asked and already answered. Uh, and you can search you know, through the questions and answers. But 100%, if you have a condition that is deteriorating, that's neurological, you have treating physicians that are... Uh, uh, saying that you cannot go back to any form of work, 
There is no reason why the insurance company is cutting you off. Contact me. We'll get this resolved. How could, does the insurance company ever try that saying, you know what, it used to be an architectural engineer, but you know what, you could probably be a barista at Starbucks. It's a gig. They oh. can't do that, can they? Well, you know, I've seen quite a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, they, they, a lot of times, you know what they do? You know how we talked about the insurance company sending you to their own doctors mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to do assessments? Uh, well, oftentimes they'll send you to other experts in, in a certain field uh, that, that deals with trying to figure out if you can do anything else. And so what's going to happen is we get a report from the insurance company saying, well, we did this analysis, uh, skills-based analysis, and you know, here are the, the five jobs or the 10 jobs that we think that your client can do. And sometimes many of those jobs have nothing to do with the person's training, uh, education, or experience. And oftentimes those jobs are even worse in terms of the amount of effort that's required than the jobs that our clients can't already do. So, you know, absolutely. Insurance companies try absolutely everything in the book. Remember, they have one goal in mind, and that is to save money and to make money. I understand that. What I'm saying is that if you are cut off from long-term disability, if you're told this is why we're denying your claim, don't assume that that is valid. Don't assume that your rights no longer exist. And certainly don't appeal the process. Get to one quick email here before we wrap up for the day. You can answer this one quickly. It's uh, David from Pickering says, my mom department store last week uh, tripped over some hangers, broke her hip. She's in hospital pretty bad. Uh, You've talked about hazards and negligence. Is that included? Can she make a claim for injuries? She's 66 years old. Absolutely, she can make a claim. And and I've had many claims where I've defended department stores uh, where you had hangers and you have clothes and you have a whole bunch of stuff that was just on the floor. We would have to look at the systems and procedures that the department store had in place to see if they were adequate. And even if they were, we have to see, well, were they followed? You know, what time of day did this happen? Look, if she broke her hip, I can tell you just off the bat, John, I've done so many hip type cases. At the very least, at the very least, just for pain and suffering, uh, uh, the the claim is worth, quote unquote, $90,000 to $120,000 for a broken hip, let alone let alone what she's going to require in terms of, of extra care uh, for treatment. She's 66. Maybe she'll have to be now confined to a wheelchair. Maybe she'll have a walker. Maybe she'll need a home. That's a huge expense. There's going to be family uh, uh, who's going to be helping. They're entitled to make claims. So very important, David, make sure you give me a call. Definitely we can help and we can advise you and your mother exactly what, what can be done uh, and what should be done uh, over, over, over the next little while. Savannah mentioned pain and suffering, and that was that first number he mentioned. You want to find out what it would be for your injury, family member, friend, or otherwise, go to injurycalculator.ca. If you have any questions didn't get answered today, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. And any time outside of show hours to get a hold of Savannah, very simple, the number 416 416- 216-5910. If you're bashful, try an email. That is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's Talk Radio, AM 640.